Hi, so this is a conversation I had with the wonderful William Stone. But before I get into that, I just want to let you know that myself and Ben Morgan have started a lovely comedy night. Um, it's called Red Cup Comedy, and it's going to be... Well, do you know what? I'll give you more details about it later on. Um, here's what you came for, the wonderful William Stone. Good. How's it going, Billy? You alright? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, cheers for having me. No worries. So, do you go by Billy or is it William? Uh, well, on stage, I'm, I'm William, but I go by Billy upstairs. What? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, what's this, um, how come there's a change? Um, well, so, um, I have, before I started comedy, um, I have, and I still, I still have, a design and illustration business. Yeah. Um, and so, for me, I just wanted to keep it separate. So, yeah. I just use my more formal name. Basically, That's good. Because I already have my other name for design. So. Yeah, it's kind of it's a bit like me because I've got I use two of my middle names for comedy purposes. Oh right, yeah. And because I work because I work in a school. Right, and because yeah, some yeah, of the kids know I'm a do some kids know that I do comedy as well. So yeah. like, when I stop putting things out like this or on YouTube or whatever, don't really want them. Don't really want them finding me. So, um, what I'm kind of interested in really is how performers and entertainers are shaped. So, when did you first get the bug for performing and entertaining? Um, So, I got into comedy. um, So, I used to work in a bar. I'd never really seen a lot of live comedy, but a bar I was working at had two really good comedy nights. um, And I would. Uh, work in the downstairs bar and no one you know what it's like at comedy because no one really gets up and goes to the bar during the performance so I just got to stand at the back and watch some really good people for free um, any, any names or yeah um, let me think um, Adam Hills Adam Hills yeah, really yeah um, okay, really? um, I can't think now but Adam <laughs> uh, Hills Cardinal Burns okay um, Nick Helms Loads of really great acts. Yeah. Um, and I was just going to that watch you get paid to watch them. So, um, really? That's what first gave me the taste for it, I think. Okay. And then um, well, I started dating someone who I'm now married to. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. Thanks, Who works in comedy. Oh, um, what does she, she do? She works for funny women. Okay. Uh, who promote, uh, funny women. women. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and um, so she would, when we were sort of dating her, She'd um, be reviewing a lot of shows and she'd have a plus one, so she'd take me along and stuff. So, oh, nice. So that sort of cemented my interest in it. And then I think she basically said to me, I think you'd be good at comedy. Because we'd only sort of been dating for a little bit. I thought, oh, I might try and impress her and actually do it. Oh, bless <laughs> so, you. Um, I think ultimately most people get into comedy for, <laughs> for some sort of form of attention. Yeah. Um, um, and I think that for me it was a bit of like I never if that was it wasn't like I'd always wanted to be a comedian you know a lot of people say that like, oh, ever since I was a kid I always wanted to be a comedian yeah. and I've always loved comedy and when I look back on my life um, all my favourite things have been comedy yeah. and even like with my design work that I do for my day job it's got quite a humorous element to it as well you know so it kind of even though it wasn't ambitious it felt almost inevitable that I would at least try it or something you know so, so yeah. how did you um, so how did you get the job of designing the logo for South Kensington Comedy? Um, well, I, I gig um, with uh, Ashley's Night. Um, 
quite a bit. And um, we're sort of Facebook friends, and I often put up my design stuff on Facebook. So uh, good old Ash was like, oh, do you want to do a logo for us? So, um, oh, good. Yeah, and I've done another one for him, which is Fulham Comedy logo as well. Yeah. Um, so it's worked nicely because my design job, um, I've got more work through doing comedy because I do a lot of people's Edinburgh posters and stuff like that. I so, might come and I might ask you about yeah, that yeah, later on. Yeah, I love doing them. So, um, yeah, and every year that I've been doing it, I've been getting, you know, like having to get better at comedy, get nicer gigs. It's working the same with my design work. So, like, every year, like, bigger acts are asking me to do their posters. So, oh, um, nice. So, I did Laura Lexis last year, and um, that was really fun. Um, yeah. She's based in Brighton, so we, we sort of met up and um, went over it, and uh, yeah. So, hopefully, that leads to some other bigger acts that ask me to do Yeah. That's brilliant. How did you find Edinburgh this year? How did you find Edinburgh this year? It was all right. It had a. I was only there for the first week. Okay. But even for that week, it did feel a little bit different to the previous years I've been. I don't know if that's because I've been a few times and the buzz okay. of doing it is sort of subdued a bit. Okay. Or because it actually is a bit quieter, but it felt a bit quieter. Sometimes. Okay. I don't know what. But yeah. How did you find doing the show at Dry Pain? Um, so I didn't. Um, I was going to do my show in Edinburgh this year, but I, I got. Um, Selected for the best in class showcase, okay. Which is um, it's now in its third year, um, um, but yeah, basically it's um, a showcase of comedians that are uh, working class and from a working class background. Uh, yeah, yeah. To, and it's crowdfunded so that people that might not otherwise be able to go don't miss out on the festival yeah. sort of thing. Um, and it's had some really good support from people like uh, Angela Barnes and Frankie Boyd and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's. Um, um, but the way it works is so that everyone gets like a decent amount of stage time. There's two acts on each week doing 20 minutes each. So I was just there for a week. Or two. Okay. But I am working towards that show still, which I'm at, I've actually put off until next year. Okay. Because um, because um, I didn't want liners, um, and I've got quite a high hit rate with my jokes, but it's hard to keep that consistent over a longer set. So. Um, you know, when it gets around the sort of 10-minute mark, people start getting like, okay, I get this, and we get into the rhythm of it. So I have to come up with ways of sort of resetting the audience and doing, like, something a bit different, and then go back into the one-liners. So for every, like, 10 minutes I do, I need, like, a little five-minute different bit. So I've been trying to work towards having a few bits to split the show up into, sort of. Especially because there's no narrative. Uh, strictly speaking, there's no narrative about what I do. So it's easy for people to tune out because it's not like, oh, so what happened to this person? And all like, I wonder, wonder if you got that job and all that, you know. So there's no, like, hook in, like, a, oh, you know, a story sense. There's no so, dead dad in the middle of the show. No, no, no. Okay. Dad, no. <laughs> I'd love to do an inverted show where it's all dead dad and, like, a section of funny stuff <laughs> for five minutes. <laughs> well, do you know what? That's really good you said that because I was going to ask you about how... Because I really admire one-liner comedians. I can never do it myself because I don't know how to sustain it for that length yeah. of time. So I was going to ask you, how do you manage to sustain it? Um, I think it's like um, any any sort of genre of comedy, it's just doing it over and over until you find a way of making it mm. unique to you. And yeah. I think, um, you know, I did struggle with it for a long time because I didn't have the performance skills. My, so it's... 
kind of a thing that people say that you're either a bit you know, better at comedy writing or, or comedy performance. And even the best people, one of them is always a bit better than the other kind of thing. Um, and for me, it was definitely, a, I started off better at writing. I was, I'm not naturally comfortable like, talking in front of people. So yeah. the, the, the performance took a long time to catch up. And even now, I still, you know, I'm not a natural performer, I don't think. I think it takes a lot of concentration for me to not to not let me just I have to really try to enjoy it yeah <laughs> but I do I love um, writing the jokes and I love it when it's going well and stuff but it's a hard sell because it's not very fashionable to do like and it's there's not a lot of people doing it so if you're doing like um, like, a, like a niche <clears throat> or like an alternative like, it goes mm-hmm. well but at broader clubs where you think, oh, they're doing better here because it's a bigger room and stuff. Yeah. Is that there's just there's just more odds that there's people there that don't like what you do. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I've, I've had to find a way of making it work in as many types of rooms as possible. Mm-hmm. So, um, so earlier on in my performance, I used to sort of do this kind of very deadpan, almost like rabbit in the headlights kind of approach, like, uh, what am I doing here? And really sort of almost like right at the audience and like. Uh, the way I used to sort of prepare for it was imagine that someone had just pushed me out on stage and then I had to do comedy. That's how I used to get into yeah. the mindset. The trouble with that is when people can latch onto that and they know comedy and they think, oh, okay, let's, you know, he's doing a thing. That's fine. But the trouble is sometimes it was too realistic. <laughs> Especially when I wasn't that confident before. Yeah. I think people thought, oh, he's terrified. And then they lose confidence. Like if there's people have the sh- like slightest shred of doubt when you walk on stage and you don't know what you're doing. They can't get out of their heads. Well, so. well, for me, I think the audiences are a bit like wild animals. If they sense, if they sense that you're uneasy, they're not going to trust yeah, you. That's a really good analogy. Yeah, totally. And then, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, I spe- yeah, I, was, I just kept thinking about that because I'm still in the open mic club at the moment. Right. Um, there's a lot of distrust between open mic audiences and open mic and open mic comedians, and we've got to really try and build that up. Yeah, yeah. And how did you find going from the open circuit to paid to more paid work? Um, well, it's interesting because everyone obviously is striving, you know, when you're doing open mic to get to that next level yeah. and to sort of try and get a bit of paid work and yeah. stuff like that. But um, <laughs> so you just get to a point where you think, oh, I'm quite good at this, I'm quite comfortable, and you have you do well, and you feel like you're one of the stronger acts on the film. And then you go into the next level and it, you, you're right back down to the bottom again. <laughs> it's a bit like in primary school, isn't it? Where you go yes. to year six and you're the top dogs, but then you go to secondary school and you are back at the start again. Absolutely, yeah. So I've just started high school and <laughs> all, all, all the cool boys have got all the good seats. And then, oh, yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, so um, I'm enjoying it, but it is like, it's a, it's a different skill entertaining like a pain audience, I think. It's just like people are like, oh, let's take a punk on the comedy, you know? Yeah. Because the stakes are lower, I think they are perhaps less judgmental. But when people are paid like to come and watch a show, I think their expectations are raised instantly. Oh, yeah. But also, I think you feel like, oh, I've got to be good, and that yeah. pressure. Because um, you're like, this is someone's, you know, night out. They might, have, yeah. they might pay for a babysitter for their kids. You know, this this is important to them to have a good mm. time. You know, and it's in your hands. And then if that pressure is hard to deal with sometimes um, especially when you want to build with someone that you know they it's probably you know a, a, a circuit pro if not like a tv team. yeah and then you're being so that i think 
the spectrum of talent and ability in the open mic circuit is not as as big and gold yeah. as in the next level, ironically. So it's um, you could be like the best open mic comedian, but that's still nothing compared to like a TV pro or something. No, of course so not. Like, so um, it, it just feels like starting again and having to learn to be confident uh, in a different way. It's, it's interesting. Mm. So what's the biggest venue that you've got? Because you've talked about uh, performing to bigger venues and smaller venues. And that. What's, yeah. If I had to know, I'm going to change the question. What do you prefer to perform to? A bigger... um, I don't want to sound like um, some sort of centrist, but uh, <laughs> I like yeah. mid-size. Really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think big size rooms, sometimes some of the subtlety of people's acts can get lost in a big room. Yeah. And in a small room... Um, I mean, I think, yeah, I'd favour mid or small size rooms over big. But that said, I've not played that many really. I think the biggest I've probably played, um, maybe, I don't know, I don't know the capacities of these venues, but I think there's maybe the um, Newcastle Stand. Or maybe, I don't know how many, Top Secret's pretty big. Well, Top Secret doesn't seem big, That's though, the does thing, it? Yes, I think it's got a lowish ceiling, yeah. I've not performed there, but I've watched a couple, I've watched, uh, I've watched Stand Up There, and yeah. it's so nice and compact that you can say it's a big room, but it's, it's, it doesn't feel like it when you're in there. No, I mean, it's got that unusual, it's got like a sort of a T-shaped, yeah. isn't it? So you've got the stage at the bottom of the, an upside-down T, and so you've got people to your right, people to your left, and then straight ahead, not in an arc, just no. like three almost separate audiences in yeah. there. Because I had a gig there not long ago. Well, I say it was not long ago. It must have been back in September. And it was one of the worst gigs I've ever had. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, Sorry. Just, no, it's all right. I mean, and again, it's like, if I did that badly in a smaller room, I might have felt like, oh, it wasn't that bad. But to, to struggle with more people really yeah. feels extra. Like, the silence is louder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But it wasn't that. It was, I mean, to be fair to me, um, I'm not trying to blame anyone of him. But it was a really rowdy audience. It was, really? it was late. They were really drunk. And um, the act on before me, they'd started losing focus and being a bit chatty to each other and stuff. Oh, and then um, <laughs> when I was coming to the stage, a whole row of people got up to go to the bar. Oh, and I couldn't get oh. past them. And honestly, it was a good minute I had to spend trying to get past them to get to the stage. Jesus. So at this point, like they, they were just like tuned out. And then I come on... <laughs> really low status yeah. I don't have that commanding like you know presence like oh what's this going on to say it's like what's yeah. this guy doing <laughs> yeah. and that was a real turning point I think for me actually like, I've got to have even if I'm going to do this kind of low status thing I still have to have some kind of presence that makes people want to listen you know what made you want to decide to do low status I think um, possibly just like being influenced by that. a lot of people I like are low status okay and I think um, I play low status better than I play high status. Um, I think I've just got, I've got like kind of like a useful babyish face. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I don't think, I'm not one of those kind of, I don't think I've got the authority of like, kind of like it is kind of like, Yeah. You know. um, but maybe that would be funny to see me doing that, I don't know. But I, I'm just more inclined towards, and I think because my, they're, they're, they're kind of um, quite um, sort of slow burning gags. Okay. And, they just, my tone of voice, it suits a low status person better, I think. Okay. Because the jokes are always on me. Yeah. You know, um, and it's me thinking I'm really smart or really alpha, and I'm not. Um, but if I was presenting as alpha and doing that comedy, it wouldn't really work. Yeah. Okay. 
I think I think that makes sense. <laughs> so, so, how did you get on Top Secret? Um, my agent at the time um, had an act performing upstairs, so I met up with him to watch that act. And then um, he was like, "Oh, you should go and introduce yourself to Mark." And is see- he a re- is he a regular at that? Uh, I think I might know who you're talking about. Oh, yeah. yeah. Is it Russell Hicks manager? No, no. It was, it um, okay. it was uh, George Zack. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so he just sort of introduced me to him and he was like, oh, you know, this guy's doing quite well. He's, he's coming up. He's one of the you know, BBC finalists and stuff like that. So he just said, yeah, well, we'll get you in and then that's it. Really. So, okay. Uh, it's one of those clubs where you have to sort of show your face, talk yeah. email or random nice. contact. Yeah. So um, the advice I was given is go and watch someone on the board you know and get there to introduce you to them. Okay. All right. That's what, that's what I was told. Oh, um, fair, right. So how do you think you've benefited from winning the BBC um, from the BBC New Act competition? Um, I didn't win. I was in the final. Ah, uh, sorry. Yeah, no, that's all sorry. right. Um, no, that's cool. Um, no, I had um, uh, I won, I won my heat. And then, because yeah. um, I think in the first stage, only one goes through each one, I think, and then some wild cards. And then the second stage, it's like two or three get through each one. And so, um, but yeah, it's, it was um, it was amazing because, you know, I mean, I, I love Edinburgh Festival to get yeah. to play in the BBC 10, you know. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, that's thinking about that might be one of the biggest audiences to play too much. It certainly was at the time. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those rooms that's so big, it's really it's hard to imagine how many seats there. So I think yeah. it's quite a long, wide room. So it's about, I'd say about 10, maybe 15 rows, but then it was really wide. So it's okay. hard to sort of like, figure out. Um, but yeah, that was amazing. Um, loads of acts that I, I love have come through that award. Yeah. So it's really exciting to, to be able to say that I've done well in the same competition. And unlike a lot of other competitions, um, weirdly, it didn't feel that competitive. And okay. I think it's because it's such a great competition to be involved in, it'd almost be greedy to them, like, even want to even think about winning it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so few people get to do it. It's like, well, we've all made it this far. Like, you know, it felt like we were like a graduating class yeah. rather than, like, competing in the same workplace sort of thing. You know, that's the analogy I'd use. Um, okay. Yeah, and it's funny um, that... I think I'll be connected to all those people for like, the rest of my career, I feel like. Yes. Yeah. Because you all had that moment. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. really nice. It's like, really a, nice. like a bonding experience. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. So how has it, how do you think it's benefited your career? Um, well, I think, again, so people that have gone on to do really well, that came through that award, Yeah. it then makes people think, oh, we should keep an eye on the people, that, you know. So um, being able to say BMC finalists, you know, Obviously, open some doors and stuff. And yeah. Even just like having like a really, really good quality video, you know, and it's, so yeah. it's like, um, and it shows that you can fall in front of a big crowd and stuff because you can see, you know, it's a multi camera thing. So you see you, this crane camera, it's like, is... going over the crowd and stuff. Um, so it's just like a really good way to show that you, you can perform. That just would be so amazing yet daunting at the same yeah, time, yeah. having like crane cameras following you. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially because the, the final is live on radio as well. So um, this like, if you uh, are struggling, it's out there forever. Yeah. You know I mean? Oh, so, damn. Um, and I, was, I knew that I had like friends back home listening that were in Edinburgh and stuff like that. And it's, um, 
But what's funny is that once you get out on the stage, it's like that thing kicks in. It's just like, I'm on stage, I'm doing my thing. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if there's five people or 500, especially this is the great thing about doing Edgeworth. You can fall into such varied audiences and such varied rooms. Like you, play, you can play like I did a gig in a bus, you know what I mean? You know, then like uh, a gig in like the BBC, you know. And so uh, it just becomes performing, and it doesn't matter if there's one person there or twenty. Or and I, I remember not long ago, maybe like a year and a half ago, if there was two or three people, I'd be terrified of going up on stage. And now I'm like, right, let's see what we can get out of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> so um, uh, and saying with, with bigger numbers, I worry more that. Um, there's a lot of my actors in my persona that some of the like you're saying some of the subtlety will get lost in my expressions and stuff like that um, yeah so I don't I mean um, I, don't, I don't think it's on the cards but I don't aspire to be like a stadium comic like, I don't want yeah. to do the um, I'd like to have my own kind of following I do my shows yeah. I, I love doing the club circuit but I don't see myself doing like um yeah, big, big groups. <laughs> oh, I think from what I've seen, that there's a well, they're very select. That's a very select group. Anyway, that's a very select yeah, group. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, absolutely. But my personal, my personal thing is, I prefer small, well, smaller, smaller events, smaller venues, or like a hundred to two, well, maximum like two hundred seats, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Because when you get to like the Oto Arena, and I've been to see comedians yeah. at the Oto Arena, and they've been, they have been phenomenal. It just seems to me so impersonal. Totally, and I think because I've only been to see one gig at the Oto. Oh, it was Amy Schumer. Ah, oh, how was that? It was. It was good. It was great. Um, but because even the, I mean, we had fairly decent seats but even then she was just like a little dot you know really and they had the screens and I just naturally was drawn to the screens and it's yeah. just like well it's just like being at home watching a special on Netflix yeah and because the, the laughs are so spread out it doesn't even have that like comedy feel that oh we're all enjoying this together I think it was in um, uh, in Steve Martin's uh, autobiography I think he was, was standing up yeah, yeah yeah I think he was paraphrasing someone else but Basically, they were saying that it seems like the more uncomfortable an audience, uh, the the better they are. Yeah. So when they're all sort of crammed in together in a little room and it's hot and it's like, um, but in the O2 it feels like this big sort of cold space. And stuff. Yeah. And it doesn't have that feeling of like being in a room with people. It just becomes there's so many. It just becomes abstract. <laughs> it's like a it's like a a Roman gladiator show, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's what it, that's what it feels like but I, I probably will still continue to go to watch the mm. likes of John Bishop and that whenever yeah, they yeah. do come in because they are phenomenal comics and yeah, they yeah. can do, and they can do that they can do that level mm-hmm. but yeah um, so how did you find Brian on What the Week? Um, it was really good so um, how, how long did you do it for? So, well so I've done it so I didn't write um, I wrote a specific act so when yeah. people do the show um, because it's a topical thing, and a lot of them are touring, so they've got the, you know, they're, they'll be on stage three nights every weekend, and they get the topics like on Friday, and they have to record them on Tuesday. Yeah. So they'll sometimes they'll dish out a bit of it to the writers to help them make sure yeah. they've got enough material, and they may or may not use it, but it's just there if they need it or they haven't had time to, you know. Um, but what the challenge is is for me, was writing in someone else's voice because I've only ever written for me, you know? So, yeah. um, so a joke isn't just necessarily a joke, a good joke, whoever says it. 
Oh. You know, so if you do like a sort of a, a more of a like wordplay kind of humour, and then like a storytelling comic does that, they might get a bit of a groan. So yeah. oh, where did that put? I came out of nowhere, and vice versa. You know, so the challenge was in trying to write for someone that wasn't me. It was very different to me. And who, who did you get? Who did you get to write? For? I don't think people like to. Oh, sorry, well, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, yeah, sorry, it's okay. No, it's yeah. fine. But um, I don't. They're probably fine with it. But I don't want to say in case they're like not. Yeah, they, no, you know, no, bother, no bother. But um, I've written three different people, and it's been really, cool. really, really fun. Um, and I've done writers' rooms for BBC News Jack and BBC News Quiz yeah. as well, which is really fun. And again, I think that came out of the competition. Yeah. Yeah, and it's good because I, I don't do talking humour. Like my act is very much stuck in the past. That's half a joke. But I'm I make kind of references to the nineties as if it's present and stuff. Um, and, and like a sort of like boy that never grew up kind of thing. So then to do like a joke about Trump or Brexit or coronavirus, it's like yeah. <laughs> it, would, it wouldn't work in my character. So um, it's nice to be able to like exercise that joke writing muscle in a totally different way that I never would normally use. You know. So that was part one of my conversation with the wonderful William Stone. If you like that, click up to hear more in part two. See you there.